All right, I am just going to bring uh, Ray up here, and Ray is going to start our morning. So uh, let's give Ray a hand. Okay. I don't know, man. I don't know where this church is headed. Vol- beach volleyball in the auditorium. What would Jesus do? I mean. <laughs> uh, be on this side. Uh, you're not competitive. No. Uh, well, I, I want to uh, welcome you guys here this morning, and I'm, uh, I'm grateful that you've uh, taken the time out of your schedule to be here, uh, so thanks for coming. Um, you've, you've been invited to this event um, because we both view and value all of you uh, as leaders, and uh, because today is essentially about leadership and because it's Saturday, which for me this time of year means football, uh, let, let me tell you what the great coach Vince Lombardi once said. He said, leaders are made, they're not born. They're made by hard effort, which is the price all of us must pay to achieve any goal worthwhile. And I think the coach, uh, I think the coach was onto something because uh, being a leader is not easy. You know, it, it takes effort, uh, it takes hard work, and uh, maybe most of all, it takes perseverance because there are moments... I mean, there are moments when every leader wants to quit. You want to just throw in the towel. You want to give up. You know, we want to run from our responsibilities. We want to hide from our critics. And with a, uh, you know, a, sense, um, a sense of weariness, we, just, we wrestle with whether or not we can go on or whether or not we even want to go on. And, uh, and even in the context of ministry, uh, which carries eternal ramifications, uh, we... Um, we, we hit dry spells, you know, and, and, and we just feel spiritually uninspired. And I know that for me, when that happens, uh, the first thing I want to do, I want to get a ticket out of town and take an exceptionally long nap. But um, over the years, what I've learned uh, is that while those things might help in the short, short term, what I really need in those moments of depletion, in those moments of when leadership gets tough, I, I need something to hold on to to really hold on to. And so that's when I ask myself the question, why? You know, why am I doing this? Why am I doing all this? And it's a key question, at least for me, but I think it's probably key for all of us because the question forces us to remember uh, the why of what we do. And, and it sort of recenters us on the thing that got us into leadership in the first place. And, and so whether, you're, whether your sphere of influence as a leader is over an individual that you're mentoring or a, a life group that you're leading or a ministry initiative that you're spearheading or even a complicated organization that, that you're trying to manage, um, understand that mo- moments of disillusionment um, in many respects are moments of opportunity, uh, opportunity to clarify, you know, clarify vision. So, I mean, think about all of us, for example, as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're given the opportunity to help people find and experience uh, new life, a rich, full new life with God. And um, we have the privilege of explaining to them, you know, the difference between religion, works-oriented religion, and, and the gospel of grace, the gospel good news, what makes it so good, the grace of God. And we have the opportunity to demonstrate through our lives that grace every day. 
uh, think about us as a, as a, as a group. Uh, we're, uh, um, why do we do what we do as a church? You know, it all centers in and around Jesus. Uh, it, that's not just an individual issue. It's not just an individual thing. It's a corporate thing uh, as God's people, as, as, um, as his family. Uh, and I think it's always, it's always good to kind of re, revisit that question. Why? Why are we here even as, as a church? Why do we exist? And um, there are a lot of ways to articulate that, I suppose. Uh, but uh, as I see it, the answer really revolves around, it really revolves around leadership. Because as God's people, as his church, we're really, we're here to, to, to lead people into, tr- to, in, into a transformative relationship with Jesus and to impact our world uh, through his grace. And for me, I, for me, that says it all. That, that summarizes it quite well. That is the why that gets me up in the morning. It's the why that gets me into the office uh, during the week. It's the why that keeps me going uh, when I'm tired and when leadership gets hard. What's important to us in terms of um, uh, accomplishing this, this why, this, this mission that God has given us? Um, well, it's important, and, and these are things that haven't changed over the years for us as a church, but it's always good to re- kind of revisit them. But what's important for us is to recognize that people matter. It makes no difference who they are, where they come from, what they look like, walk like, talk like, smell like. It makes no difference. They matter to God. They matter to us. It's important to uh, understand how relevant teaching um, helps take profound truth, biblical truth, and make it accessible to everybody, no matter where they are in their spiritual journey. It's important for us to realize that everyday worship is what we're called to. It's not just a Sunday morning shtick. We're called to everyday worship, living, to be living sacrifices 24-7. Uh, it's important that we remain convinced that ridiculous generosity not only changes our community and our region and our world, but it changes us. It changes us. It's important to know that we are better together than we are apart. And that's really true. You know, community, we need each other. Formative community is essential uh, to, to, our, to our lives. Not just as human beings, obviously, but as, as, as Christians, uh, and it's important to, uh, for us to always affirm that everybody does. Everybody does. You know, God has given all of you, he's given all of our people uh, unique talents and passions and gifts that are meant for somebody else. You know, spiritual gifts aren't for me. My spiritual gifts are for you. And so if, if we fail to use those gifts in the context of the church, uh, the rest of the church, the body suffers and so everybody does. Everybody's involved. Everybody's committed in ministry. Now, in some way, shape, or form, uh, we, I believe, and I think uh, you probably would agree, all of us, all of you, uh, you're, you're, you're all a leader. You all lead somebody in some way. And because that's true, uh, and because we value you, we've made a commitment to, uh, to do whatever we can, whatever's possible, whatever's reasonable, to, to encourage you and equip you and, um, and empower you to be the best leader uh, that God has called you to be. Why? For Jesus' sake. And so, uh, and so in, that, in, that, uh, you know, in that direction, what we've done is we've invited someone to come help us uh, begin that pro- process and
and begin to accomplish it. And he served on leadership teams uh, on some of the most effective and growing churches around the country. Uh, he's a, con- a coach, a consultant, an author, a speaker. He's a leadership guru, not to mention a husband and father of four. So it's my pleasure to introduce you to Tony Morgan. Tony, come on up. Welcome, man. Welcome. Thank you. Which, which side of the room won? Uh, when, when, you, when you get a moment, would you move my things over here? <laughs> uh, hey, it's good to be with you. I was a little bit concerned, just to be honest, though, um, because, uh, you know, the NFL football season opened last week, and it's my understanding that the Bears didn't do so well last week. Is that true? Yeah. Are you a Cowboys fan? What, are you, what, what is this here? What, what, Bills fan? Oh, my word. Who let this guy in the room, right? Uh, well, yeah. So uh, that's funny because I have four kids as well, right? Pump, pump, pump. Ugh. Everybody who shook my hand this morning is thinking that. Although my kids are a little bit older, and uh, I'll introduce uh, you to them because as we go through the the day today, uh, you're gonna find that they are kind of their their stories are kind of woven through everything that we're gonna talk about. Um, Kayla, our oldest, is a sophomore at the University of Georgia. Uh, so she's, we live down in Atlanta now, so that's, what, uh, that's why she's down there. We grew up in Ohio, so I'm actually a Browns fan, and if you can imagine that, or, yeah, well, yeah, that's kind of like cheering for the Cubs, just in case you're wondering. It's bad. It's really bad. Uh, we have one son, his, name, uh, his name's Jacob, he's a junior in high school. Abby made the biggest transition this year. Uh, moving from eighth grade to becoming a freshman in high school. And then we have Brooke. Brooke's a fourth grader. So we uh, have a kind of a wide spread of parenting that we're doing right now. Uh, Emily and I, uh, Emily's my wife. Emily, uh, let's see, we met when we were in seventh grade. Uh, We started dating when we were in high school. Uh, And we dated for six years. We didn't get married until we both graduated from Bowling Green State University. Uh, there are no Falcons graduates here, are there? Yeah, see, everybody, I, go, I went to Northwestern, uh, what, Vanderbilt, that's what Ray's kids uh, went to. I went to Bowling Green State University. That's kind of a step up from high school, but not much of a step, right? Uh, and I, I, I actually have a graduate, graduate degree from Bowling Green, like that matters, right? It doesn't matter. Uh, Emily and I got married after we graduated from uh, college, and so we've been married for 23 years. We've known each other. What does that make it? We've known each other for over 30 years, Uh, so we know each other pretty well. And again, uh, I think her her story and her influence on my life is going to be included in the stories and the teaching I'm going to share with you uh, today as well. Uh, but uh, so I've learned a little bit, of, or you've learned a little bit about me. I'm I'm uh, interested in learning a little bit about you. I understand that most of the room, you're you uh, have some other day job, and then you show up here either on Sunday morning or some other time during the week uh, to volunteer to lead as volunteers in your ministries. And if that's you, if you're not being paid to be here today, would you raise your hand? Because I'm curious. All right. Well, very good. It's good to have you here. Uh, and then um, 
if you're if you're only here because you're getting a paycheck to be here today, who who is all right? So everybody's volunteering. There's a couple, yeah, yeah. As if that was a big deal for them to show up, right? No, seriously. Uh, today, uh, this is primarily for those of you who uh, you're not being paid. This is a service that you're providing to the church, but primarily to Jesus. Uh, And uh, the great thing about uh, uh, God's uh, greatest commandments uh, for us, we're supposed to love God and love others. And part of loving others, as you all know, is our ability to help others, to serve others. And it's out of that service, it's out of that ability that we have to really pour into somebody else's life that many times we see people take their very first steps toward Christ. And uh, for me, just so you know, my, a little bit of my faith journey, uh, I accepted Christ in high school. Uh, and some of the very uh, most formative steps that I took in my faith journey were as a re- result of somebody inviting me to take a next step in serving. And I've, I've sat under great biblical teaching. Uh, you have some good teachers here at Parkview, right? Yeah, yeah, good teachers. That's what I hear. Um, I, I, you know, I've engaged in biblical disciplines, spiritual disciplines like you, reading scripture, prayer on down the line. I've been in some great groups with other people. Uh, anybody in a small group here at the church now? Yeah. So, and you've probably uh, benefited from that as well. But what I can tell you from my spiritual journey. The, the greatest steps, that I, the things that were kind of the catalysts of my faith were those instances where somebody invited me to take a step into serving and then in leadership in a volunteer capacity. That's what really stretched who I became as a Christ follower. And maybe you've experienced that as well. And because of that, uh, I really believe volunteering, serving, leading as lay leaders in the church that's just as important, if not more so, to the entire discipleship process as hearing God's word preached, reading the Bible, praying on down the line. It's very important. And so because of that, I'm glad you're here today uh, because it's not only demonstrating your commitment to that step that you've taken in your life, but then you're also acknowledging I'm not comfortable just staying where I am. I'm ready to take a next step as well. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on today. And with that, we're just going to dive right in. We're talking about rethinking leadership today. And I I believe you have some notes to kind of follow along, right? So you can uh, turn to your notes. We're going to be talking about four key things today related to rethinking leadership. And if you're in this room, you are a leader. Uh, And we'll talk, there are different types of leaders, but if you're in this room, somehow, somewhere, you're influencing someone else. And to that extent, all of us are leaders, because I really do believe this. If you call yourself yourself a Christ follower, there's this little thing at the end of Jesus' ministry here on the earth, uh, we call it the Great Commission, where Jesus commissions us to really go out, share, share the good news, help people receive Christ, get baptized, and begin to take steps in their faith. That's, that's, that's a mission not just for the church. It's for each of us as Christ followers. And it's impossible to engage that mission if we don't 
take the opportunity as, as God brings people into our lives to help those people take their next steps, to help them learn what it is to be in a relationship with Christ, to help influence them to engage the relationship that we've all embraced ourselves. Uh, and so that's where we're going to begin today is talking about how do we rethink leadership. And the very first uh, thought I want to share to you today is we have to learn how to empower other leaders. We have to empower leaders. And uh, when I uh, think of this concept, I, I go back to a passage. You may be familiar with it. It's in Acts 6. And in this uh, passage of Scripture, um, it's, it's kind of a challenging time for the early church. Uh, did you realize there are actually churches in Scripture? And the church today can learn a lot from what the church in, in the early days of the church, what they were experiencing. Some of the same issues and challenges that they were wrestling with 2,000 years ago, we, we wrestle with those same issues today. Now, in, in this church, uh, the challenge was this. Part of the, part of the, one of the ministries of the, this early church was they took care of the widows in the church. They took care of them, primarily making sure that they were fed, uh, which is a good thing. You don't want the widows not to have food. They get grumpy at that point. In fact, um, Emily and I, way back when, this is before kids, we were living out in uh, Galesburg, Illinois. Anybody from Galesburg? Yeah, yeah, if you were, you wouldn't admit it, right? Um, We were living out, out in western Illinois. And uh, before kids, and it's interesting, Saturday morning would come around, and around the corner from where we lived was this donut shop. And it wasn't a Krispy Kreme, and it wasn't a Dunkin' Donuts. This is one of those mom-and-pop donut shops. And uh, if, it was like almost every Saturday, we would walk to the donut shop, shop and grab a cup of coffee and our favorite donuts. I think this was, you know, it was a long time ago. This is when we still thought donuts were good for us, Right? <laughs> And it seemed almost every time that we would walk into the donut shop, there, there was this group of older men, seasoned men, who would sit in one corner of the shop around this, this uh, circular table. And when we would go in, we would overhear them. It seemed, again, almost every time we walked in, you would overhear this group of older gentlemen talking about life. And it was fascinating. I mean, they would be talking about the challenges that were happening in the community. I mean, the youth and getting them, they're getting into trouble and what they would do to fix that uh, issue. And I was in local government at the time. I was working in the city manager's office. And so I was always cognizant when I would overhear them talking about local issues or they would talk about national politics. And it was, it was fascinating to me because no matter what the topic was, they always had an answer. They, know how, they knew how to fix everything. And because of that, Emily and I began to refer to that table as the table of all knowledge. <laughs> now, here's, uh, here's what concerns me. They say that as you age, your idiosyncrasies become more pronounced. Here's what I know about myself. I have opinions. I think my opinions are right. I'm not afraid to share my opinions. Someday, I'm going to be seated at the table of all knowledge. That's my concern. Only it won't be the donut shop anymore. It'll probably be a Starbucks. I don't know what it'll look like. But that's what I picture. 
And in reality, uh, when I think about this passage in uh, Acts 6, uh, I I picture the widows to be similar to that table of all knowledge. They've lived life. When it comes to this issue of them not getting fed, basically, I I picture them seated at the table of all knowledge. They know what needs to be done. They know how to fix this issue. They're probably talking about those young pastors, those young church leaders. If they would just get their act together, we would be fed. This ministry's broken, and they probably knew how to fix it. Now, the reality is those, those church leaders back then, they weren't getting their job done. You know why? Because they weren't doing what God asked them to do. If you look at that passage in Acts 6, what he originally uh, told them to do, only two things, preach God's word and pray. Those were the two things that these church leaders were supposed to be responsible for. But instead of that, uh, instead of that focus, they were getting involved in all the other ministries of the church, including the food distribution ministry. Which, just to pause the button for the moment, what that suggests is this. It's possible that we can be doing the ministry of God, but not be doing the ministry God's called us to do. Did you catch that? It's possible that we can be doing the ministry of God, but not be doing the ministry that God has called us to do. And for each of us in the room, because we all are Christ followers and we all have unique spiritual gifts, our calling is going to be different than somebody else's calling. And we're going to talk more about this as we go today. And that's what was happening here. Uh, what, en- what, what they end up doing is the, the, the overall leaders of the church go back to prayer, teaching God's word, and they raise up some other leaders in the church to take over the food distribution ministry. And this is interesting. Um, what uh, It says in Acts 6-7, as a result of that change in focus, getting back to what God called them to do, it says this, the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And so as a result of the church leaders getting focused again on what God called them to do and raising up other leaders, empowering other lay leaders in the church, that's you all, right? Empowering other lay leaders to take responsibility for what was happening in the church, the ministries of the church. As a result of that change, the church had a bigger impact. More people became Christ followers. The, the church was different because the leadership empowered other leaders. Do you see that? That's why we're here today. Um, now, here's what I know. Uh, as church leaders, and you, can prob- you, pr- you probably have all either worked for a leader like this out in the marketplace, or maybe you're, you're living it out right now yourself, because I know I've I have faced this challenge in my leadership because when you get into a leadership role, there's a natural tendency just to hold on to things. You, you, you want to, you want to make sure that people know that you're in charge. Uh, And there's this tendency to keep control. And as a result of that, we want to be involved in everything that's being done. We want to be involved in every decision. Uh, And here's what I know about leaders, particularly in the church, because I work with church leaders all the time. Our tendency is to hold on to too much for too long. 
we naturally tend to hold on to responsibilities and decision-making. We, we want to control. Our natural approach is not to empower other people. That's not naturally how church leaders are wired. But that's what I want to challenge you to do today. Whether you are one of the handful of staff leaders in the room or for those of you who are in uh, 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 positions of influence as a lay volunteer, as a lay leader in the church, I want you to be thinking about your leadership and how can you pass off leadership and responsibilities to others? How can you pass off the food distribution ministry to somebody else so that you can get back to doing what God called you to do? A uh, number of years ago, I was, uh, it was a small group gathering, you know, guys get together. All right, uh, let me just say this. Uh, it was one of those 6.30 in the morning, guys, small groups. Men are, men are quite stupid, if you ask me. Uh, women, a whole lot smarter, because when do women have small group gatherings? Never? Is that what you said? At night, during the day, some other reasonable hour. Men, for whatever reason, small groups for men can only happen at some ungodly hour of the morning. I've never understood this. If there was a 1030 at night small group gathering, I would be all over that. Could you arrange that for me? <laughs> All right, so this was one of those early, early morning uh, groups, and we had been doing life together for some time, so we had gotten to the place where we were beyond just the surfacey conversations to really wrestling with some real issues that each of us were facing in our lives. And this one particular morning, I remember one of, the, one of my friends in the group was, was talking about some recent challenges that he and his wife had been through in their marriage. He must have been married to a very wise woman uh, because he was describing to me how his wife was kind of expressing her feelings related to where they were in their marriage. And I guess his wife described it this way. She said, it's as if we own a fancy automobile. Now, I'm not a real car buff, though I can tell you uh, I have my eye on uh, the Teslas. Have you seen these cars? Teslas, they're, they're all electronic, and uh, are we too close to Detroit for me to be talking about a car that's not made in Detroit? I, I had that look all of a sudden that, who is this guy, what, and what is a Tesla? It's, it's a fancy automobile. Of course, um, I buy used cars, so it'll be 30 years from now before I can, ha- I can purchase a Tesla that's made today, uh, but I picture the Tesla. Uh, well, that's not a good description because I don't know if the engine hums on a Tesla. Who, who else is a car buff in the room? Any other car buffs? Anybody? Yeah, I know. So we can't use that for this description. Uh, what's another? If you, the motorcycle won't, no, the minivan won't work. Do you, none of you like cars in Chicago? What's the deal? I thought you had a big car show or something like that. A Dodge Challenger? That'll work, because I've heard those before. Dodge Challenger. Um, uh, And by the way, what color is it? Orange with the rally stripe. Kind of like, what was the show? uh, Starsky and Hutch. There you go. Uh, All the young people in the room are thinking, Starsky and Hutch? What's that all about? (sighs) Yes. Children of the 70s and 80s, though, we can embrace great shows like that, right? All right, so um, we have this uh, orange with rally stripes 
uh, Dodge Challenger, right? Is that what it's called? Dodge Challenger. And she said, it's like we, we own this fancy car, but we always keep it in the garage. And she said, a lot of times we'll actually get in the car and, you know, uh, sit behind the wheel and pretend we're driving it. She said, sometimes we'll, we'll actually turn on the engine and just listen to that engine hum. She said, a lot of times, though, we, ha- we have the car up on the lift, and we're kind of tinkering with it all the time and trying to improve the performance of our car. But she said, we never get in the car and take it out on the open road and actually drive it. And she said, that's what it feels like in our marriage right now. We're always constantly talking about how we need to improve our marriage and next steps we need to take, but we never take those steps. We're just talking about it. And my concern is, uh, that's a great illustration for the challenges that they were facing in their marriage. My concern is this, though, that I see those same challenges as we look to raise up other leaders in the church. And so uh, let me just say, it's a great thing that you're here today and we're having this training time together. Uh, You may be be reading books about leadership. Uh, Every so often, you might go to a conference someplace else with your job or ministry and learn leadership someplace else. You may be be mentoring somebody or, or learning from somebody yourself. But here's the deal, and you've all experienced this. You really can't learn what it is to lead until you actually lead, right? You just can't do it. You, you actually have to get in the car, get behind the wheel, and get out on the open road. That's the only time that you really get to experience what it is to be a leader and then learn how to be a leader. Now, um, this is the point in time where if you like to Facebook or Twitter or kind of share things on social networking, uh, please don't do this because I'm about ready to reveal the brokenness of my life, okay? So let me tell you about my, one of my leadership learning experiences. This goes back to, it's, it's been years ago, years ago. And I was working as a, as a pastor for a church at that time, probably in a similar role to, to what Dave Davis is for you all. And I was doing some uh, work, and um, we identified a problem in our church uh, because the church was growing rapidly, very similar to what you're experiencing in Parkview. And uh, as a result of that, we were having trouble tracking all the people that were connecting to the church, all the next steps toward Christ people were taking into serving opportunities and small groups and events and everything. We were, we were just having trouble tracking that. And so what we ended up doing is recognizing we have to get a better church database to track all of those next steps that people are taking. Uh, now, in the room, is there anybody here that works with the church database? Anybody have that responsibility? Dave does in the back. Um, you get to work with it. Does anybody, is the person actually responsible for the church database in the room? What, what, what's her name? Terry. Terry. We should just lay hands on Terry right now. Yeah, we're talking about the church database, Terry. And I, I was about... Re- I, she's, running right she's running reports right now. That's excellent. All right, so Terry will appreciate this, but we were having challenges keeping up with all the great people that were coming to our church. And the system was broken. And so something needed to be done about it. 
So we pulled a team together. We started researching options. And, you know, uh, there are actually companies out there, probably like in the marketplace, that make different types of software solutions, web solutions that, that track things like this. And so we looked at several different options. And there were some great options, but none of them did exactly what we needed them to do. And so... In my wisdom as a young leader, I, I, I decided, well, if we can't find the best solution, we can certainly build the best solution. All right, now, um, just let's just do a little, this is going to be a little bit of practical leadership lesson for you. Ask me the question, Tony, had, have, have you ever built a database in the past? No, I've never done that. Uh, Tony, did you think about finding somebody else that has built a church database to help you build it? No, I didn't do that. Uh, Tony, did you, you know, kind of plan before you build? I mean, that's kind of a biblical thing. Did you, did you think about how much time and how much money that it was going to take to really pull this off? No, I didn't do that either. Uh, we, this is the part that, please don't share this on social media. I'm a pastor, and so this, I was a pastor at this time, and so we, we, uh, we took 12 months. In that 12 months, we spent $100,000. Oh, that's tithe money. That's God's money that we spent. And at the end of that year, uh, it was worse than when we started. It was horrible. And I remember one evening... Uh, typing out this email, long email message to my boss at the church, um, basic, basically acknowledging I royally messed up. And I've wasted all this time and all of these resources, but we have to unplug this and go a different route. And basically, at the end of that message, was offering my resignation. I thought that would have, would have been appropriate for that level of a mistake as far as leadership was concerned. Now, fortunately, uh, because my boss is a good person and had a lot of grace and I think still saw potential in me, uh, he let me keep my job. Uh, and I learned a lot from that. And I share that story because that is a big mistake. That's a big, lots of big leadership mistakes in that. So I offer that to you uh, because as challenging as it might be in the area that we feel like we have control over, we have to free people up to take on new responsibilities, to take on new leadership, to make decisions. And to give you a little bit of hope, because I doubt very seriously as you release leaders like that, that they'll make as big of a mistake as I made, right? You're, you're probably not going to see that. But you all know it because you've lived it. Let me see the nod. If you have felt that you have uh, really not learned how to lead, how to influence others until someone gave you that opportunity. Is that your story? Because that's my story. Now, again, the way we're wired up, our natural tendency is to look at the things that we're responsible for and we hold on to them very tightly. And we want to control and we want to be on top of everything that's being done. And we want to make sure that uh, everything is done right, done well. We want to honor God and I love that heart. But at the end of the day, when I look at scripture, scripture is about empowering other people to use their spiritual gifts 
for them to join us on the mission that God's called us to. And if we just hold that on to ourselves, if we hold the ministry that God's given us, the mission he's called us to, if we just hold on to that ourselves, we're really denying the opportunity for us to take a next step in our spiritual journey and our leadership. But we're also denying all these other people around us from doing what God created them to do. Some of that might be your story today. You need to hear that challenge. It's not just about you. It's about all the people that you're influencing. And if you're in this room, you're at least influencing one other person. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here today. So that's the initial challenge around this first thought of empowering leaders. And let me just say, this is a big deal. Um, we're going to come back to it uh, after lunch today. But there's a story uh, it goes back to the early, early days, Exodus 18, Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. And uh, uh, I don't know, I'm assuming a lot of father-in-laws either in the room or you have a uh, father-in-law. In-laws tend to get a bad rap. Um, Jethro, on the other hand, he was kind of the good kind of in-law. I mean, he was a very wise guy. In fact, one day he comes up to Moses because he's looking at Moses and Moses is involved in all the decisions. He has all this leadership responsibility. Jethro comes to Moses and basically says this, Moses, you're going to wear yourself out if you continue to lead like you're leading today. And this is where Jethro encourages Moses, you have to find other capable leaders. And again, we'll come back to this later on. But that's, that's my challenge and prayer for everybody in the room. If you continue to hold on to ministry, if you continue to hold on to leadership and influence by yourself, eventually you're going to wear yourself out. And that's when we start to make bad decisions. That's when we get ourselves into trouble. When we're, fa- when we're facing stress, when we're tired, when we're worn out, we don't make good decisions at that point. And so my challenge, my prayer for you is that you'll, you'll consider who is it that's around me that I can encourage to step up, to take on new responsibility, to even maybe take on some leadership responsibility so that we can share the wealth and we can get more ministry accomplished and have a bigger impact on the mission that God has called us to. Part of this is about span of care. There are only a certain number of people that any one of us can care for. Uh, I Myself, I have learned maybe five, six max. And once I get beyond that many people that I'm trying to care for, I might be able to stay on top of the tasks that they're trying to accomplish. But I don't know what's happening in their life, really. I don't know the things that they're celebrating right now. I don't know the big challenges they're facing. Uh, I don't know the struggles they're dealing with. I don't know how to pray for them individually. That's a, that's a red flag that goes up for me. If I don't know how to pray for people, I'm trying to care for too many people. Uh, you know, Jesus, uh, when he was on the earth, uh, he, he was caring for 12 and really focused time with just three. One of those 12 kind of went bad, if you know the story of Judas, right? So... Uh, a healthy span of care is probably something less than 12, unless you're like claiming to be uh, like Jesus in your leadership ability, which I'm assuming you're not. Um, 
And I don't know, it's different for different people. It might be just two people that you really have the capacity to pour into, to care for. Maybe maybe you have great leadership strength and you can go to five, six, or seven. I don't know your story. But you have to figure out what is my appropriate span of care. Now, let me let me tell you for the volunteer leaders in the room, um, a lot of times I see staff at churches paying better attention to span of care than I see volunteer leaders. And so what I find is as we get to the front lines of the ministry, sometimes it's the lay leaders in the church, the volunteer leaders in the church that are not keeping healthy span of care. And I've seen some instances, and I won't, I, I won't promise I won't pick on children's ministry folks too much today, but how many children's ministry folks do we have in the room? Yeah, there's a handful of you. Uh, I met Michael today. He seems like a pretty sharp guy. And you're new, Michael? Is that the story? All right. And you still have your job, so that's good for you. Good deal. Um, and so here's here's what I found, particularly in areas like kids' ministry, is it's not unusual to find a situation where one key either staff leader or volunteer leader is trying to schedule uh, you know, 15, 20 different people and then care for those people as well. That's kind of their primary point of contact. And as a result of that, that person really, that's all they can do. They can get 20 people on a schedule, but you, with 20 people, again, you can't know everybody's story. You can't invest in them. You can't share life together. And as I mentioned earlier, whether, whether you're in a, on more of a serving team like that in kids' ministry or more of a relational serving role like in groups' ministry, um, it's important that we think about there's, we're not only trying to accomplish a mission to get ministry done, but we're also doing life together. We're helping people take their next steps toward Christ. This is part of the discipleship process. And so if we don't embrace that responsibility to do ministry and to share life, we can, we can avoid dealing with that question of is my span of care healthy or not. A little bit later this morning, we're going to break out into teams, and these are the types of issues that I want you to be wrestling with as teams, because uh, you might be in a very healthy spot right now as far as empowering other leaders, and your, your span of care may be healthy. I'll tell you, if that's happening across the life of the church, this is an amazing church, because uh, very often I find, especially in a growing church like Parkview, that this is an area that we just need to pay attention to. And we need to embrace new disciplines to go to a new place. And so later on, as we break out, uh, those are the types of uh, conversations. And I, I'm, I included some exercises that your groups are going to go through together. Those are the things that I want to wrestle with. But uh, before we move on, I want to push the pause button. We've already covered a lot this morning. And I just want to see if you have any questions or uh, if you have any thoughts or experiences from your engagement, maybe not even here, but in other environments, or if you want to push back on something I shared, that's always fun. Uh, and so you could, put, you know, if you really hate the Cleveland Browns and really want to press into that, we could do that as well. Uh, Glenn and Kim have microphones, so any questions or challenges or thoughts uh, that we need to process together? Do, check, check, do, check. do, 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 do. Hello, Jave Johansson. Dave Johansson. That Jave, Jave, Dave. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I think it was just more of an aha. Um, uh, 
you know, churches were always looking for more people because it, 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 churches tend to attract, you know, a certain number of people that end up doing more and more and more and more work. Uh-huh. And I know my mindset was simply, well, you know, it's really up to, you know, uh, Kim and Eve and everybody else to, you know, gather more leaders. Huh. And yet the aha was, you know, but so I'm on, you know, a greeter. Well, you know, I should be keeping my eyes open for the next great greeter. I should be keeping my eyes open. Oh. For... <laughs> That it's are, up to are you over the greeting ministry or what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just up to us to yeah. be looking, as you say, for those for yeah. those next leaders. Oh yeah. The staff. Uh, so oh gosh, um, we probably don't have time for it. So we'll see later on today if we have time for that illustration. But I can't. That I say amen as well to that. Uh, in fact, here's what I have found working for churches and with churches through the years. Our natural tendency, anytime we want people to take a next step at the church, either go to an event or get involved with a small group or join in volunteering, our natural tendency in churches is we submit a promotion request, make sure it gets in the bulletin, make sure it gets announced from the platform. Um, Rarely does that mobilize people to, to take their next steps. What I have found practically what helps people take their next steps is when you meet people and develop relationship with people and then tap their shoulder and, and invite them to take a next step. That's when people are most likely to do whatever it is, go to an event or uh, engage in a small group. So small group leaders, uh, rather than waiting for someone from the platform to say you ought to be in a small group, my encouragement to you would be start building relationships and just tapping shoulders and inviting people to your group. Or if you're a greeter or wherever you serve in the ministry, don't wait, don't wait for the staff to, to try to find more volunteers. Their, their relational connections are limited. You all know more people than the staff team knows. And so the more you're inviting people to take their next step, the stronger the church will be. So thanks for uh, picking that up. That's a great, great insight. Donna Eisner. I'm just really encouraged that we're doing this because I come from a church background where, you know, that passage in Exodus is true. Jethro did say, and find men to take over these yeah. where you are overextended. But the key word was find trustworthy men. That's right. Um, and I think your advice about limiting to who you can handle and who you can know. Yeah. I come from a church background where it was, if you can read, you can lead. We're going to print up an outline, and you can lead a small group. And then it all became shooting from the hip. Well, I think, and I know someone who said, and it was never from Scripture. And yep. so I'm really excited that, that you gave that point. Yeah, that's great. And I agree. I mean, uh, part of what it is to encourage people to take their next steps, you can't do that outside of a connection and a relationship. You can teach people without really knowing people. But when it really comes to discipling people, there has to be a relationship there. And honestly, I use these terms a little bit uh, interchangeably, discipleship, mentorship. To me, they kind of go hand in hand. Today, we're talking probably a little bit more about mentorship since really it's a a leadership conversation. But for me, again, it's, it's just discipleship but with a, a leadership twist on it. And you, can't, you just can't help people take those next steps. You can't have accountability. You can't encourage them if you don't have a relationship with them. And so that's where the span of care is so important. Great insight. 
What, what other either thoughts or questions? I see a couple more hands. Glenn, you want to take this one? Sure, I'll take this one, even though you're on the losing side of the side. <laughs> saying. You watch the Eagles, so who cares? Um, and talk a little bit about empowerment. What does that mean? I mean, it's not an abdication of responsibility. Exactly. In fact, that's a great question, and that's a great segue for the next thing we're going to talk about. So let's hold on that question. But there was another hand back here, too. Uh, yeah. Don't, don't be shy. Hello, Hillary. I'm Kim. Nice to meet you. Talking about span of care, how do you know who is supposed to be? Because, I mean, I'm a teacher, and you can literally, I could pick out 30, 40, 50 people who, yes, you obviously need a relationship in your life. So who are those six? Who are those 12? Because yeah. it seems like there's so many. Do you pick them? Do they pick you? Yeah. So that's a question You know that what? I, I, I think that's uh, what I've noticed in my life. It kind of works that way. Like, um, as you get to know people, I'm just drawn to certain people. Uh, some of that is because I, there's a shared passion, uh, there's a shared wiring, our personalities are similar, so I'm kind of drawn to them, and then they're kind of drawn to me, and so it's kind of a mutual agreement, hey, we, we should connect, we should, we should hang out. Um, uh, what I do know is uh, I have never, see this is funny, I'm a big proponent of mentoring and discipleship. Uh, but I've never gone to somebody and said, will you be my mentor? Because the people that I want to be mentored by, they're busy. Uh, And so this is kind of a sneaky way that I do it. Uh, I'll just say, can we grab coffee sometime? And I'll go with all kinds of questions, uh, and we'll meet over coffee for about an hour. And then a few months later, I'll call them again. And they don't know that they're my mentor, but... Just saying, it, it works. Uh, but uh, and the same thing is, and I'm look. I, I have a few people that I'm. Uh, they don't. They don't. Uh, they don't necessarily work for me. Uh, but there's potential that I see in them, uh, either because they're in the marketplace and in areas of influence or in ministry where I see potential for great influence in the future. And I'm, I discipline my calendar and schedule to make sure I can dedicate time with them. And uh, I haven't really said you're my, what would that be, the men, mentoree, men, mentee, mentee, is that right? I, I did, mentee is in, I have very mentee breath, I'm just kidding. Well, I was going to, or <laughs> it wouldn't be mento, that's uh, candy, right? Mento, yes. If yeah. we stay along those refreshing elements, I think yes. that would be pretty good. Uh, so I've never said, will you, will you be, is it okay if I mentor you? Uh, I just, I'm. We've, we're sharing life together. Now, the great thing is in ministry, uh, some of that can be structured a little bit. I mean, obviously, in groups ministry and serving teams, some of those relationships are naturally going to form because you're spending a lot of time together. Uh, but that's what I want you to begin looking at. It's, you're, not just, you're not just serving kids. You're not just greeting people. You're not just leading a group. You're actually discipling and mentoring people. And that's a little bit of a different way to look at how you're doing life. But the, the, uh, the church has, has, a, has a great history to get to where we are today. For where you're going, you're never going to be able to hire enough staff to do all the ministry, the discipleship, the mentoring that needs to be done. 
the only way you can continue to take steps is if this room as a whole embraces that challenge and says, God, you've, you've done a great work in my life, and you've put me in a place where I'm influencing other people, and I, wa- I want to accept that call that you've placed in my life, and I, I really do. I want to take what you've shown me and in turn pour that into somebody else. And I'm just telling you what, if this room here did that, We could come back a year or two from now, and there would be countless stories of people that would engage a relationship with Christ, take steps, get on mission with you, and growth is just naturally going to happen. Spiritual growth, but numerical growth will happen too. That's what happened in Acts 6, right? When they started to do that, the church had a bigger impact. So that can happen here too. All right? We good? All right, there will be other times we'll answer some questions along the way. And and then additionally, certainly as you go to your breakouts uh, later this morning and then again this afternoon, you'll have an opportunity to talk through some of this and ask questions with the the person that's going to be facilitating those conversations. And that'll all be good because we can kind of learn together at that point. But uh, this gentleman, what's your name? Chris. Didn't know it, but he was making a great segue to this next point that I wanted to make. Thank you, Chris. There's a reason why you're sitting up here in the front row, right? Uh, The next key thought that I want to talk about, which really relates to Chris's question, is this. The second key thought is this. We need to stay focused on the outcomes rather than the execution. We need to focus on the outcomes rather than the execution. And to begin to illustrate this, I want to go back to the conversation, uh, the illustration we were talking about earlier with the woman uh, talking about her marriage. And remember, they own this Dodge Challenger. It's orange. It has the rally stripes on it. She's, uh, it would be as if uh, they finally decide, uh, we're, well, and let's put it into the leadership context. We decide we're going to hand the keys to somebody else to take on some leadership responsibility, to take some of the things that we've been doing, we're going to hand the keys to somebody else, begin to let them make decisions, they're going to get in the car, they're actually going to take the car out on the open road. The only challenge is we're still in the back seat, and we're telling this new leader to turn left, turn right, speed up, slow down, get in the passing lane, go this direction. We're, we're telling them exactly what to do. That is a great description of delegation. Delegation is an important part of leadership. Delegation is this this approach where there's a task to be accomplished. We assign that task to somebody else. We give them coaching on how to do that task. Uh, We follow up with them if they have issues. Um, we help them address questions and make decisions. We make sure they get the task done. When the task is done, they come back to us and we assign another task. Delegation is a very important part of leadership. The challenge is if we don't take a next step in our leadership, if we only delegate, if we're having to assign every task, that means you become the bottleneck. Because anything that needs to be done, and we're, of course, talking in the context of the church now, everything that needs to happen in ministry 
you have to touch it. You have to be involved because you're assigning all the tasks. And whenever a challenge pops up, you have to be involved in resolving that challenge. And whenever a decision has to be made, you need to be involved in making that decision. Again, don't, don't mishear me here. Delegation is an important part of leadership. But what I want to offer to you is when we hand the keys to a leader... We actually have to empower them. We have to give them a picture of where they need to end up, and then we need to release them to begin to make decisions on their own on how to get there. In other words, we have to give the framework of where we're going. And the framework for a ministry typically would include, this is our mission. We're not going to waver from the mission God has called us to. This is the vision for where we're going in the future. We're going to be doing this, this, and this. And if you pull us from that vision, you're going to hear from us because we're working together to accomplish this vision. These are the values we embrace. It's just these core values. And these values shape how we make decisions. They shape how we interact with each other. They shape how we do things around here. We have a clear strategy. Our strategy involves small groups and serving teams and being engaged together in worship. There's a strategy, discipleship strategy, that we have embraced. And if you try to pull us into a different strategy, even if it's a great ministry opportunity, but it's different than the strategy we've agreed to, you're going to hear from us. In other words, there's an outcome that we've agreed together as a church we embrace. And around that outcome, there's great accountability. You can ne- even if you're empowering somebody else, you can never give away count- uh, accountability. So you can empower, you can release authority, but you always hold on to accountability. And so, and the reason why is if you don't have accountability, people would just start doing whatever they feel like doing. Uh, you know, it's kind of whatever God told you to do, that suddenly becomes the mission of the entire church. And that's not how the church is designed. The, the church is a, designed with a, accountability and authority flowing through God. And, a speci- and healthy churches anyways, churches that are growing spiritually and numerically, they have that very clear framework of mission, vision, values, discipleship strategy. And healthy, growing churches, they don't waver from that. And so that's the difference, though, is we have to move from just delegating tasks to actually empowering people to take on real responsibility in the ministry. And that res- with that responsibility, does it, there's authority that comes with that. There's this expectation that I'm going to build a team to accomplish the mission. Uh, there's the sense of when a decision needs to be made, I have the power within the context of what we're doing to make a decision so that things don't slow down. Empowerment looks very different than delegation. Do you begin to see the difference? Uh, now, let me, let me offer, uh, offer this to you this way. Um, you're all probably familiar with the parable of the talents, right? There are three servants in that story, and then there's a master. Um, and I guess uh, in a couple of the instances, let's see, one of the servants has, uh, is it four talents, right? And they in, essentially invest that money, and they end up doubling 
the money. And do you remember what the response of the master is in that, in that instance? Do you remember what the master says? Well done, yeah. So it's, to me, it's an example of here's a leader working with somebody else. Uh, the leader empowers this person to steward resources. And, and, and again, in the context of the church, some of those resources do involve money for us. Uh, sometimes that's space resources. A lot of times this is people resources, volunteers, leadership. Uh, there's a resource of communication focus that we're trying to steward. And basically what happens in this first instance is, boy, the, the person has stewarded the resources well. Uh, they've reached the outcome that was desired. And as a result of that, the leader is just saying, well done. Uh, the second instance uh, the, the servant, again, has two talents, invests those two talents, again, doubles the, the resources, and again, the master, the leader says, well done. It's interesting, in the third example, uh, this servant only has one talent and uh, buries that, which if you, if you think about it in the context of today's economy, that would probably be the best investment. But for the purposes of this illustration, it really doesn't help. Buries it, and then it's interesting, as a result of that, the the master, the leader, of course, does a couple of things, which is very fascinating. Uh, Number one, uh, there's an acknowledgement. You just, you didn't do what I intended you to do with the resources I provided. But then secondly, what happens is there's a bit of a coaching, a redirection that happens uh, because the, the leader says, the servant says, or master says, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. You, sh- you should have been a better steward of the resources that I, I gave you. And as a result of that, there's this coaching or redirection that happens. And th- to me, this is a profound leadership lesson because what it's acknowledging is there needs to be clear expectations communicated on the front end of what the win looks like, of what the outcome needs to be. And hopefully, Uh, As you coach people, you see lots of wins, and you're able to say often, well done. And the great thing is, if you're really empowering people, allowing people to use the spiritual gifts that God has given them, if you do a great job with that, you're going to see all kinds of ministry impact as a result of that. And what a great Uh, sense as a leader to see all that ministry being accomplished and to be able to look at people in the face and just say, well done. But another part of leadership is this. There are going to be instances where you've communicated the expectations, where people know the outcomes, they know what the win looks like, and they don't hit the mark. And in those instances, because we are a people of grace and mercy, in those instances, they deserve some coaching. They deserve to know what could I have done differently? What could I have done better uh, in the future when this issue pops up? How can I process and what should the decision making look like? People deserve that. And that's part of what leadership is all about. Now, you've all been there and you know the reality of it. The conversation where you're going to somebody and saying, well done, That's a fun conversation. That's an easy conversation. The conversation where you need to go to somebody and say, this this just didn't cut it. We we can't, this is not how, this is not what the, when we talked about the win, this wasn't it. 
those are tough conversations, right? They're, they're very hard. But I want to tell you this, that's what leadership is all about. If you're in a position of influence, you have to embrace those types of conversations. And the great thing about it is this, most people want to have that type of conversation. They want to be doing their best. They want to be making great decisions. They want to be helping the team win. And so they want to hear from their leader, you know, how can I improve? How can I take my next step? Now, you all know this too. There are some people, they aren't going to receive that type of coaching. And you still, they deserve the opportunity to take the next step to improve, to be redirected. But if you find yourself having to constantly go back and have that conversation, that's where we set up parameters. And again, we clarify expectations and we say, hey, look, if this doesn't happen, this is the consequence. And we need to set the boundaries. And that is also part of what a leadership, what leadership is all about. I've, I've shared it with uh, folks this way. The, the real tough part about being a leader is this. Eventually, you actually have to lead. You actually have to do the tough stuff that people expect from leaders to make tough calls, to embrace tough conversations, to challenge people to go to a place where they aren't currently, to help people move, for, move from where God has them today to where God really wants them to be. And I have found, because I've seen it in my own life, unless somebody uh, leads, mentors me, encourages me to, to uh, really face those tough, challenging things in my life, I, uh, I, unless I have that level of accountability, I may not experience God's best for me in my life at that point. And that's why leaders have to figure out how to move beyond just delegating, just assigning tasks to really empowering people. Because when you do that, you can accomplish far more ministry in the long run. Do you, I think that'll still work. We'll see. Do you see, do you see what I'm talking about there? Now, um, as you're considering this, we were talking earlier. Uh, in fact, what, what, what's your name? Dave, Dave, uh, it was a great conversation there uh, because he he recognized it was his aha moment. Hey, look, this isn't just the pastors and ministry directors, staff directors' responsibility. This is our responsibility. And as a result of that, wherever you're serving, whatever place of influence you have in the ministry, hopefully at some point you're going to be inviting people to take this next step where you're empowering them. It may not be in a leadership role, but you're empowering them to use the spiritual gifts that God has given them. They're going to be serving someplace in the ministry, and you're encouraging them to take that next step. Now, what I would suggest to you is this. Um, If um, if you're asking, though, someone to move into some place of leadership, they just process those decisions differently. So, for example, um, it would be very, very rare in a, room, in a room on Sunday morning for the senior pastor to say, we're looking for somebody to lead this area of ministry and for someone to respond to that. And the reason why is this. I don't know why it is that leaders are wired up this way, but when they hear kind of an all-call announcement, leaders assume that the pastor is talking to somebody else. That's just the way 
we're wired up. I apologize for that, but that's the way we're wired up. The way leaders respond to an invitation to take a next step is this. It needs to happen one-on-one, face-to-face, over coffee, over lunch. And the conversation looks a little bit something like this. You're, you're, you're meeting with somebody, and, you, and you're talking like this. Um, uh, Dave, um, we got this challenge with our uh, guest services, um, and honestly, we don't know what the answer is. We, we don't know what our next step looks like, but we think you can help us figure this out. And so for this next season, would you come alongside us and help us tackle this challenge? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure that we help you get people on your team, make sure you have the resources you need. As challenges or questions pop up, please come to me. I'm going to be with you on this. I'm going to be praying for you. But would you help us accomplish this key challenge that's a roadblock for us right now and the steps that we're trying to take? Would you be willing to do that? Most definitely. That's, I mean, leaders, when it's a face-to-face ask like that, and you're presenting a challenge, a problem, to, leaders are attracted to problems. I don't know why it is, but we, we just, when there's a problem, if, if there's a huge challenge, leaders run toward it. They don't, they don't run away from it. Uh, on the other hand, if you're just inviting a leader, hey, uh, we have this position that needs to be filled, and all you have to do is, what was it, read, and then? If you can read, you can lead. And I, I, I'm as a leader, I'm not responding to that. I'm responding when there's a huge mountain that needs to be climbed. I'm responding to a big challenge. And so you have to have that level of conversation. Where the leader hears, the potential leader hears, you, you're going to be empowered to really help us make a difference here. In fact, did I include these questions in your notes? These are the types of questions that potential leaders are asking to themselves. They're asking, am I really needed? If you're inviting me to take this next step, am I really needed? Will I have the chance to have input? This is a big deal for folks that see themselves as leaders or influencers. Uh, In fact, I've expressed it this way to my bosses on occasion. Uh, I've said it this way. I don't care if you take my recommendation if you, are, if you decide based on what I've shared uh, that you're going to go down that route, I don't really care. I just want to have the opportunity to have a voice in that conversation and that decision. For me, that, that's the win. I just want to make sure that I have a voice and that I get to be a part of that process. Um, here's another question. Will they keep me in the inside loop? And as a leader you've, or an influencer in the ministry, you've, you've probably felt this. Is, uh, if you are in a position of leadership, you want to hear the information before everybody else hears the information, right? And so those are the types of questions that leaders are asking. Uh, here's another one. Do they care about me or are they just using me? That's the if you can read or lead thing, you know. If, you're, if they're just trying to get you into a spot to fill out their org chart, you kind of feel used like that. But the question is, uh, are they asking you to really live out what God created you to do? Here's another question. In the context of ministry, this is a big deal. Will they actually let me lead? Now, Parkview is unique. We want lay people, volunteers to step up in leadership responsibilities. But do you know that in, I would bet, 95% of the churches across the country, that's not how they operate? 
in most churches, if there's anything that needs to be done, they just go hire a pastor or a ministry director to go take care of it. And the expectation, the culture that these churches have created is if there's ministry to be accomplished, we have to pay somebody to do that ministry. Now, here at Parkview, that's just not the case. It's the direct opposite. The idea here is we're trying to empower people to use the spiritual gifts that God has given them, including the spiritual gift of leadership. And the reality is, in the context of the church, we don't have to pay people to lead. Isn't that a great thing? We get to use our gifts, including our leadership gifts, to serve the mission God's called us to. And the last question is, will I get to do something significant? And that's, that's a big deal. That, that's the deal where uh, it's, is it the, what, what is the big mountain? What are we trying to accomplish? What's the big challenge? And if I'm a leader, those are the things that attract me to a new opportunity like that. Now, let me uh, encourage you with this. If whatever next step you're inviting people to take, um, none of us, None of us like it when people say no, right? We just don't, if we're making an invitation, our biggest fear is that person's going to say no. Well, let me just offer this to you. Uh, Don't say no for other people. In other words, make the ask, invite people to take a next step, and then let them wrestle with God on that. You have to do the, was there an applause for that? What was it? What just happened? Oh, Dave just said that. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate that encouragement, bud. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, don't, don't say no for people. Make, make the ask. Make the invite. Let them wrestle with God. Again, this is just, it's my story. Early on in my Christian walk, people invited me to take some next steps. It, early on, it was, well, consider helping me lead this Bible study. Uh, and then it was, would you consider, lead, as a volunteer, leading this area of our ministry? And then later in life it was, would you consider stepping into this pastoral role? And all along the way, people were challenging me to take those steps. I, I, honestly, I didn't initiate those on, the, on my own. And part of the reason why is I just didn't think I was ready. And it's interesting, as you look at Scripture, even the people that Jesus, the 12, that Jesus uh, was inviting to be a part of his ministry. I, wasn't it Peter that said, looked at Jesus and said, I'm a sinner. I'm not qualified. And I think really the people that you're looking to step up into leadership and ministry and to serve in your different teams, uh, the right people are, there's a little bit of the, them that's thinking that, like, I, I don't deserve that. I'm not ready for that. And until someone comes alongside them, encourages them to take their next step, toward Christ and ministry and leadership, whatever it looks like, they, they may not do it. That, that's part of what we get to do in our area of influence and leadership in the, in the church. Do you see that? All right, so uh, here's the good news. Uh, I've done enough talking for uh, the morning at least, and we've had some good engagement together. But I know this. In fact, I, I've shared it uh, this way with others. I really do believe uh, that teaching and preaching has the potential to shift someone's thinking. Uh, But until we engage new disciplines and new systems, it's very difficult to shift someone's behaviors. 
And so I've done some teaching this morning, and hopefully together our thinking has started to shift a little bit. But what I'm really excited about are these breakout opportunities that we have built in this morning and then this afternoon. Because as a team, you can begin to talk about how your systems, how your disciplines, how your structures may have to shift so that you can get different behaviors in the teams that you're trying, in the ministries that you're trying to accomplish. Uh, so, what what instruction do we have here, Kim? So, first of all, can we say thank you to Tony? I thought the morning session was really, really good. Thank you, Tony. Um, so, you will see by the slide, dun, 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 dun. these are the locations for your breakout groups. So, you're going to stay here all day. So, if you are, um, go to your room, that's where you'll go for each of the breakouts. So, if you are a volunteer in life groups or if you are a volunteer in MANA ministry, which is one of our local and global ministries, whatever ministry it is, go ahead and check out that room. You guys can take a 10 minute break. Um, and then make your way down to your room, and then there will be someone in the room facilitating that discussion for you. So go ahead, take a break, grab something to drink. Any of us on staff, feel free to ask us any questions if you need further direction. All right, thank you guys. We'll see you back in a little bit.